Can you imagine what it feels like to be a Canadian soccer player as Peter Pendergast blows the whistle? It's official. Canada 2000 Gold Cup champions. How does that sound? You're listening to the Northern Football Podcast with Peter Galindo and Thomas Neff. It's episode six of the Northern Football Podcast. I'm Peter Galindo. He is Thomas Neff. Uh, Lots to discuss on the show today, starting off with uh, Toronto FC's Champions League tie with Leon, which kicks off on Wednesday at Estadio Leon, Thomas. That is correct. And to help us preview this game, we have two guests uh, that were kind enough to join us on their Easter Sunday evening. Uh, Rudy Schuler of The Zone, who was previously at Goal and Sporting News, and Javier Urquieta from The Lions Den, a English podcast on Leon. Thank you both for coming on. And uh, thank you for having me. And thank you for getting my last name correct. <laughs> me too. <laughs> So we'll start on TFC, Rudy. Um, obviously, a lot of different angles for them entering this game, but overall, taking everything into account, how do you feel about uh, TFC's chances, particularly as they're dealing with some injuries at the moment? <laughs> well, it's really hard to say, right? I mean, because yeah. as you mentioned, there's so many variables, there's so many balls up in the air right now. Uh, nobody's really seen this team play outside of the teams that they've been playing in preseason. You know, they just played against Columbus Crew in Florida, and they, they played a preseason game against them. Uh, it was the final tune-up for both teams against, ahead of the, the Champions League. They came out on top, but who knows uh, if they were playing at 100% or, or even close to it. Uh, they also played against Inter-Miami's uh, U23 team. Nobody saw that. Nobody knows who even played in that game. Whatever, right? Uh, it's a new coach. They had their, their training interrupted by COVID. No new signings. It, 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 there's, there's so many balls in the air, and, and you, what, one thing you could say about TFC uh, over the past several years, actually, uh, is that they've been consistent in, in terms of their roster, right? They've always had signings, but it's never been, uh, you know, a huge roster t- turnover like we've seen from TFC uh, previous to Greg Vanny's tenure, which is, of course, now over. Uh, under Chris Armas, we're going to see how it looks. You know, this is going to be the first look at, at, at Toronto FC for, for all of us, so... Uh, I don't know what to expect other than, uh, you know, f- from the guys you think are going to start. There's certainly some gaps that, that will have to be filled by, by some younger players and some players that, quite frankly, uh, haven't lifted up the building yet, billing yet. You know, I'm just as curious as anybody else to see how this goes because, you know, the last time, the last few times we, we've seen Toronto FC in Champions League, we knew what, was, we knew what they were going to look like going into it. You know, it, it, was, it was very very fluid from, from, from one year to the next. Uh, right. You know, Greg Vanny was the coach, you know how they play, and so on and so forth. But now it's, you know, the coach is different, so is he, is he going to have different favorites on the team, like, in, in terms of the way he wants to play, and, 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 and you know, are, are new players going to emerge? It, it's really tough to say. And uh, this is essentially a preseason game for them, which is, or, or a pair of games for them, I should say, which is, uh, you know, not, not the greatest uh, way to kick off your campaign. And Javier, uh, Leon have largely struggled in the clausura despite a major signing in Victor Davila. Yes. Um, unfortunately, I think Leon suffered from what we like to call campeonitis because, look, Leon, for like the last two years, they've had this style of playing that many people have said is enjoyable. But I always say, man, there's always this pressure that I felt that somehow or another they had since they lost to LAFC. Well, actually, you could say it started when they lost to Tigres. That being said, I feel them becoming champions this last season kind of took that little, you know, that pressure that you kind of just saw it against LAFC. 
and I'm, it's not an excuse, but also Leon, because they played that final, they didn't really have a pretemporada. But it's not an excuse, you know what I mean? Like, like they started off really, really bad. Yet La Liga Mexicana is, to me, how I've always said it, it's like, a, you know, because all they have to do is just qualify in the top 12, and then they go into La Liguilla. So it's it's been a bumpy ride, and I think the last couple of games for Leon, they look way, way much better. But, you know, historically, Leon, every time they come after a fecha FIFA, um, <laughs> they struggle a lot, too. So it's 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 one of those things where, yes, Toronto is also a mystery for us. We have no idea. We're gonna have to just wait until to that first game to see exactly how good Leon can remember if, if they can remember their style of playing from last season. But yes, Victor Davila is a, it's a important signing. Um, we kind of expected more goals for him, and he's actually what I thought would be our number nine because we don't do, Leo doesn't play with a with a number nine. The Hoji Giotti situation is kind of weird. Something about his contract that if he plays 70% of the games, Leon is obligated to buy him. So I don't think they want to buy him because they're not really playing him. Um, and that being said, the one signing that I'm, I've am i been following, I'm a big fanatic of La Liga Argentina. So Colombato is someone that I know who he is. I know he's a big, um, he's, he's a River fanatic. And we talked about how he wants to go back to River, but before he does that, he wants to leave his mark in Leon. So I kept telling my, my, my friends, like, look, I know Leon is not playing well, but just wait until Colombato and Chapo Montes get together and you're going to see. Because uh, one of the things that really that I, keep, I kept saying that was a big um, reason why Leon wasn't playing that well was um, Aquino. Aquino being bought by America to me was a because we got also Gonzalez in return. Plus, they got a couple of money, too. But I, I think that was a bad transaction. Of course, Aquino wanted to leave. Um, he wanted more to, to kind of, you know, be, be seen. America, you know, you're going to have all these people in Europe, for sure, looking at, at, at your team and at your playing. I think all, all of those factors are the reason why Leon hasn't been playing as, as last year. But Colombato, Davila, those are two very interesting signings yet. I don't, I don't think... Um, they've shown any of their full potential yet. Rudy, obviously, Leon having one major signing, Toronto FC, as you touched on, uh, no major signings. One of the, I suppose, more intriguing figures of the offseason for Toronto has been Josie Altidore. Do you feel like Chris Armas can rely on Altidore for either or both of these games? It all depends on what his fitness level is, right? And that, that's the, the, been the line on Josie Altidore for, for two, three years now. Maybe even going further back, even when he was a younger player. He's, he's always been snake-bitten with injuries. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a big, strong dude. His build, is, 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 it, it's conducive to, to you know, bullying players around, but it's also conducive to uh, a lot of injuries. And uh, as good as Josie Altidore has been, for Toronto FC in, in big games, and I would obviously include these games in it. It all depends on, on how many minutes he can give. You know, he's he's kind of the linchpin, right? Uh, of course, uh, of course, Alejandro Pozuelo is is the best player of TFC, but if you can have Josie Altador out there occupying defenders uh, with both his his brute force and his intelligence, because he he makes some good runs, and he he's a, a very underrated passer of the ball for his size and for you know for his attributes. He frees up Pozuelo to do what he does best as well. So, uh, to me, Josie Altador, he's got the experience, he's got the the talent, but does he have the fitness? That's always been the question. And as he gets older, it's going to be the question more and more. 
by all accounts, he's been uh, you know full fully involved in, in preseason training, and I see that he scored a goal against Columbus Crew. He scored the first goal against Columbus Crew uh, in the last preseason game. If they can get him to to you know play uh, sixty minutes in the first game, uh, I think that's you know that'll be the goal. Obviously, if they can get him to play the entire game, that that that's great. That's gravy, but. Uh, you know, Altador has always been a, a bit of a mystery in terms of, in terms of uh, how much he can give you on a given day. But given that this is the, the beginning of the season, I expect to see him out there uh, at least to start. And um, we'll see how long he has uh, in him. Um, there's always been big expectations on Costa Rican international Joel Campbell. Um, but he hasn't lived up to his, to his full potential, Javier. Why is that? Uh, I agree, man. That's one of the things. I, I'm one of those people that was kind of hard on him because you do expect him to be playing for what they bought him for, correct? So that being said, maybe, again, one of the things that I've, <laughs> I've been saying also was um, I guess after you win, you you kind of feel relaxed. And, and I mean, the Campbell from last season was is definitely way better than the Campbell of this season, yet uh, coincidentally, like he he was called by Costa Rica, correct? Like I don't think last year he was. I, I think since Matosas, um, he wasn't really being called to La Selección. So I kept saying like, hey man, this is the best opportunity Campbell can. I mean, I, I know Leon is not trying to keep him for a long time. Maybe sell him to Europe again, or, or just at least to to try to capitalize. Because there's a there's a moment where there's these rumors about Tigres wanting to trade for Campbell. Uh, I think Valencia or something like that. So I always thought, like, yeah, definitely buy Campbell. But after they bought Campbell, it was like, I don't know, his his rhythm or his the passion for for like playing kind of just died out. And he's not alone in, in the team. I think a lot of players in Leon have that. That 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 has to be an advantage for Toronto because it's it's when you're hungry because you, you haven't won a championship. It's like you you kind of do try your hardest. And I feel this team kind of feels like they already won the, the Campeonato de la Liga Mexicana, so they're going to just, I don't know, not give it that, that much importance. But I don't think that's the case. Maybe for Campbell, you never know. It could be Nacho Ambriz, his relationship with him might not be the best. It could be many, many reasons and factors. Um, I always think about those kind of factors, psychological or the emotional. I mean, otherwise, I don't, I don't, I don't understand it. He's been titular as well which is something that I always thought I like Campbell as, as a, as a super sub. I think he, he's a much better player like that. Every time he comes in, you can tell that the whole, everything changes, but when he starts, it's like when it's the second half, I don't want him. I don't want to see him play anymore because he's out of sync with a lot of the other players. But again, I don't, I don't know the real reason. I just, I just feel maybe it has to do from the emotional. He's not really connected, but again, he's not the only player. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be a Campbell hater because I, I I do think talent wise he's probably the, in the top of the whole Liga Mexicana. He has amazing skills. I mean, I just wish that he could live up to what he's worth. I'll go to uh, you, Rudy, first, and then Javier, if you want to jump in after to give your answer on the same question, you may. But Rudy, which player or players are you looking at? to make the difference, obviously keeping in mind that we haven't really seen anything of these guys since what, October, November. Richie Larea, you know, he's not a surprise anymore, but he's still, he still pulls out his bag of tricks. And uh, we saw what he was doing with Canada. Like granted, obviously the, uh, the level of competition that Canada just faced isn't, isn't nearly the greatest, but uh, he looked like he was, 
uh, in midseason form in terms of his his ability to to run on both sides of the ball and 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 be a, be a threat offensively. You know, he didn't really run out of gas to my eyes. I, I know he didn't play the, the full games, but he gave his hundred percent when he did. And um, you know, he's the guy on that on that right side that that uh, has become just. Uh, almost an equal threat to anybody else on TFC. Now, I'm not going to say he's obviously an equal threat to Pozuelo, but he's a very good compliment, right? So uh, if you if they have him uh, firing on all cylinders, it's going to be a, a kind of hell for the Leon left side. And uh, between Larea and, I'd say, uh, Mavinga, Chris Mavinga as well, given that he's uh, the speedy centre-back out, uh, out of all the centre-backs that TFC has, he's the guy that, that cleans up the, the fires back there, especially if he's paired up with uh, an Omar Gonzalez who's, who's a bit slower. Those two guys uh, on the back line, in very different roles, obviously, are going to be key uh, for TFC in, the, in this series, I think. I think it's kind of obvious for Leon, it's, um, and it's always going to be Chapito Montes because he's one of those players that he just understands playmaking at a whole different level. And I think the problem, so I'm going to cheat, I'm going to say two players, because yes, Chapo Montes, but he needs someone in the, in the contención to kind of have his back. And since Aquino left, you know, that's why Leon has been struggling. But when Colombato started playing, I kind of saw this magic between those two. And I thought that's that's going to give us a big campeonato. Will it be enough for a Conca Champions? I don't know. But I, I do think that those two the way they play, the way I've seen them play, the little bit of time they've been together, those are the most important players, I think. Because our def- our, def- our defense is it's okay. It's, it's I mean it's could be better, but we have a look like a little secret weapon in Navarro. But um, other than that, I would just say Chapo Montes. He ages like wine. Like that's the thing. Hopefully he, he's getting older and better and hasn't reached his peak yet. Um. So MLS is isn't in in season. Uh, Liga MX is. Uh, question for both, uh, starting with you, Rudy, and then Javier after. Um, how is that going to impact the game? Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, match fitness is going to be an issue with TFC. I think uh, it, there's a slight advantage, uh, as we've talked about throughout the show, is that uh, TFC is going to be a bit of a wild card uh, in terms of uh, you know tactics and, and formation and all that, and, and even personnel. We don't even know uh, who's who's fit now, who's uh, who's not. You know, there's some there's some guaranteed starters that may not be guaranteed. It's it's one of those things where uh, I think that wild card will help at least in the first leg. Fitness is is definitely going to be an issue, and uh, you know I talked about it with Josie Altador in, in terms of his fitness. Uh, you know, team wise, it's going to be I think you're going to see some tired legs in the you know in the in the 75th to, to 90th minute, especially in that first leg. Maybe not so much in the second leg because they're playing in Florida, and they would have had another game under their belts, but. Uh, uh, I, I do think that Chris Armitage is going to be using those uh, five substitutions pretty liberally throughout the game. I think people say it's an advantage. I think after last Conca Champions, when Leon lost against LAFC, I'm like, see, I don't think it's an advantage. I just think it's it just depends on the team. It just depends how much the other team studies the because clearly LAFC did their homework and clearly Natrambris betrayed his, his style that he's been doing. But he, back then, what he had been doing the whole um, the whole season, which is attacking, he kind of never waits for like if they need one goal, they're not gonna. Usually, Leon wasn't gonna just wait for or defend the the score. Again, I, I think LAFC was a really good team last year. I think that they deserve to go way further. But that being said, was like there is no more excuses for Leon. Leon has to go 
and win an international championship. They don't have one. There's this whole thing in Mexico where they're fighting about Quinto Grande, you know, the fifth biggest team in, in, in Mexico after Guadalajara, America, Cruz Azul, and Pumas. You know, they, they say it's them. I think it's Toluca, and then after, after that is, is Tigres because I think it's about championships. That being said, that's, that has to be something that Nacho Ambriz has in the back of his head, and he knows that we cannot lose in this same place where we lost last season. So, yes, it could be an, an advantage that, you know, um, MLS is still in preseason, but I just think it just depends on, you know, it depends on a lot of factors. But, yeah, that being said, um, I don't know anything about Toronto. So I think they might have an advantage because everybody kind of knows how they own plays. Moving over to, I, I suppose, the tactical side of this, Rudy. I mean, Javier touched on how Nacho Ambris might approach the game or certainly how he likes to approach certain games. I know it's difficult given that we haven't <laughs> seen what Aramas' TFC looks like yet. Um, but, mm-hmm. but do you feel like he might try to be a little more aggressive from the start or do you think he'll maybe try to sit off and try to hit Leon on, on the counter given maybe the lack of match fitness? Yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, I feel that uh, from what we've seen from Chris Armas in the past is that he liked to play a pressing style, especially with the New York Red Bulls. You know, he 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 kind of carried on that tradition uh, from Jesse Marsh, and 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 uh, you know we saw it with the Red Bulls. But that that was a Red Bulls team that was built for that. I don't think this is a, a, a TFC team that that's built for that. Eventually, they will be, uh, and maybe with some of the younger players coming in, they can be trained to do that. Uh, but if you look at the veterans, I, I don't, I just don't see a, a you know a high pressing style in the you know in in the same manner uh, that the that the Red Bulls have become kind of famous for in MLS. That being said, I. I do feel it's going to be over the course of the entire season it's going to be a little bit of a tactical shift i think we're going to see uh more of armor's personality come through but uh you know if i was him i'd i'd lean heavily on on the guys that kind of got them there it's it's kind of weird to say because they didn't actually win a championship to get to this champions league but um you know the guys that have been around for a while you know the uh pozuelo altor uh market delgado those players that that are familiar to to toronto fc fans and to to you know people who watch mls and, and even people who watch uh concacaf champions league because of course they did make the final so many years ago with a lot of these players if i was chris armis i i i i kind of lean on that so probably play something similar to what greg vanny played played over the over the last few years you know a heavy possession style where uh, where you kind of try to impose yourself on the team. Now, I, I don't know if they're going to be able to do that against Lyon, especially away from home. But they do have the players to play uh, some kind of uh, some kind of uh, uh, a possession-heavy style, even if it, even if it means uh, you know you know not uh, not imposing themselves as much as they would uh, you know at BMO Field if 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 there was thirty thousand people there and and, and they were playing uh, you know mid-season form that kind of thing. I still do think that they do have that that little bit of, of that style in their DNA. I just don't know if it's going to happen. Uh, I, I sound like I'm flip-flopping because I really am. You know, if I was him, and that's all I could say right now, if I was him, I'd lean on the guys uh, that, that got you there, at least for these first two games. And if you want to work the youth in a little bit more later on, uh, I think that's the time to do it. But I, I don't think that, a, you know, a, a Champions League tie or, or two Champions League legs, I, I just don't think that's the time for... Uh, trying to reinvent the wheel because we saw what happened in 2019 when Greg Vanny tried to do that as well. He played a 4-3-3 when he did not have the players for it, and they got absolutely thrashed by that Panamanian team that that escapes my my memory now. I can't remember their name, but uh, you know they they taught TSC a lesson that day, and uh, I don't know if Chris Armis wants to be taught a lesson in his very first uh, competitive game. So 
I think we're going to see something, you know, familiar tactics uh, with a little bit of uh, a different style. But um, again, it's it's one of those things. It's it's such a mystery that, you know, your guess is as good as mine on this one. Uh, now for Leon, uh, their attack and defense has been inconsistent. At the start of the year, they struggled to create. But the defense conceded big chances. Currently, both seem to be clicking. Uh, Javier, what, what is the X factor for them that they've seemed to figure it out? Well, I, I think Leon is a team that likes to make plays. They like to keep the ball. Uh, definitely, we start pressing Leon and they start you know, giving um, turnovers and counterattacking Leon. That's Leon's weakness. I've seen it be done so many times and it's kind of ridiculous that because that's what i kind of wish nacho Ambris was more like don't play i mean that's i mean it's just not how i think but study your opponent you know because everybody that plays leon studies leon and it's as if you know leon is only worried about you know keeping the ball and making these plays that look very beautiful but at the same time like you're not going to win just passing the ball and Having 99% possession, that usually happens. Leon usually has like 79% possession, but ends up tying or losing the game. So that's the, I think tactic is everything in this in, in these uh, two-legged. Um, in, in general, to um, there's always a, you have to play differently if, if it's a you know a normal league game or a direct elimination game. But this is two legs, so you have to be very smart. It's 180 minutes, not 90. Leon, really, what what I felt is the reason why they they kind of just click. I, again, it's if if Montes is at at his at his um at his best, then you you better believe that you know there's going to be these interesting passes, you know, these interesting way of of of, of connecting. But again, I think there's a lot of factors too. Aquino leaving, uh, Yairo Moreno, who was our left back, he's not he's not he's in the bench right now. We have, I think, Osvaldo Rodriguez, who I am not a big fan of. Uh, he never, he never. Every time he's gonna center a ball, he never lifts his head up. So I have like my little issue with him. But, but yeah, I think, I, th- I think um, the the main thing is gonna be Montes Colombato, you know, them kind of just figuring out how to really just um, attack. And when they don't have the ball, you know, defend because that's always been our problem with the counterattacks. They kill us with the counterattacks. They kill us when they press. And they stop Leon because when Leon doesn't have the ball, Leon is not that that team that people say, "Oh, they play very beautiful, they play really good." I agree, but that's not going to get you anywhere. Fair enough. Um, let's close it out with this, guys. I, I mean, it will be the first time for each side that they are facing each other. And Javier, you mentioned that off the top. Maybe let's get a uh, a quick little roundup uh, recap of of how you think maybe the first and second leg I suppose will go and a and a prediction as well. Start with you, Rudy. Then Javier, you after. Well, I do think that uh, you know TFC. I think they're going to try to let the game come to them a little bit more in the first in the first leg, just because of all the wild cards that I've you know been kind of hammering home this whole show. So you know, I I don't know if they're going to try to jump on Leon. And again, I, I don't I just don't think they have the horses for that you know that that kind of kind of place. So uh, I do think it's going to be a little bit more conservative. Uh, if they can be conservative with the ball, I think that, that will help them. But I think they are going to be a little bit more conservative in the first leg. And then, then you try to... It, it's weird because they're not even going to be playing at home in the second leg. So it's one of those weird things where it's like they can't even rely on, on, on a home field advantage in the second leg. You're going to be playing in some high school field in, 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 uh, in, in Florida for the second leg. So that being said, if they can keep the score down low, they're going to go for it. So 
Uh, I don't know if you want to score prediction, but uh, I, I, my prediction is that TFC is going to play very conservative in the first leg and then try to maybe open it up in the second leg when they're a little bit more comfortable uh, with the style underneath uh, underneath Chris Armis and, and also with just being able to uh, to get their, their legs about them because uh, this is their first competitive game of the season. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's how it's going to go down. I think, I think Toronto's going to – because Leon is at home, and I think just like last – Last season against LAFC, um, LAFC played more conser- conservative when they were in Leon. I think Leon could have won three to four zero. I, to be honest, there was a lot of misses that ended up, you know, biting Leon in the, you know, where at the end because then LAFC came back with the majestic three zero. I, I, I thought that I thought that was epic. I, I don't hate. I love Leon, but I recognize, you know, like hey, that's, that was they did what they were supposed to do. I wish Leon would have done that. I think that's kind of how it's going to go. Um, Leon plays tonight against Toluca. It'll be the first game where fans are allowed back into the stadiums. We're going to see if that's a factor because Toluca's playing well. And, you know, I, I, I do think fans are a factor. That, that has to be a factor. The, the, the energy that they give, the, you know, that, that has to count for something. And, and, and no camp in Leon has always been one of those stadiums that, you know, the fans are kind of they're really close to the, to, the, to the field and they have that, you know, that energy. I mean, I'm not being biased, but I, I do think Leon fans have something there when, when it comes to supporting. So we're going to see if that's going to – and again, I'm not actually sure if there's going to be fans in, in the Leon versus Toronto game at home for Leon. But if, if, if you know, there is, then hopefully it's an advantage because I do think it's a disadvantage to play in another place that's not your home field with no fans. You know, it's kind of like equal it's, – it, 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 it's equal for both sides, you know, so – uh, prediction, um, Leon has to win by more than two. I think they ha- they know that because I kind of feel like Nacho's going to do the same thing like last season and they're going to play very conservative over there. But again, the fact that they're going to play in a neutral field is kind of like, it's interesting. But again, we'll, we'll, we'll have to see because Toronto, Toronto's a mystery. You don't really know what Toronto's going to bring to the table. Well, we'll see what happens. Uh, I just want to say I appreciate both of your time. Thank you for coming on. And uh, yeah, thank you. Thank we'll see you. what happens. Yes, thank you for having me, girls. Thank you so much. It means a lot to me. I wanted to represent my, my friends from, from the pod. And uh, this is going to be, I love this. And this is what it's about. You know, it's two, two amazing cities, I think, you know, two amazing cities. And hopefully, like, if, if Toronto fans do come to Leo and they get, you know, received warmly like LAFC did last season. And it's, it's going to be interesting for sure. I, I think it's. Let the best team win. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting thing. Uh, you know, I, I like it. I like Concacaf Champions League just because you get to see different teams from all over the region, and uh, you know, this is a brand new matchup as we've mentioned uh, there several times. So, uh, it, it's another challenge for both sides, you know. And uh, from TFC's perspective, this is you know this can set the tone for the rest of the season. So, I'm sure they want to put their best foot forward. All right, and moving over to some Canadians abroad, as well as some transfer rumors, but more on that later. Um, The big uh, Canadian abroad in action, Thomas, was Jonathan David, who scored for Lille in their 1-0 win over PSG, a massive win, but he exited early in the 35th minute with an ankle injury that he sustained after 15 or 16 minutes after a hard tackle by Idrissa Gay. He continued, though, and then that's when he scored the decisive strike for Lille. Um, Now, as of Sunday, he has since been diagnosed with a sprain, no fracture, 
but his best case scenario for a return is April the 16th. But the big story apart from that is obviously him scoring the goal for Lille to go three points clear over PSG. That was his 10th goal of the season and his eighth in 14 matches in 2021. Uh, how much does that goal and, and just in general the last couple of months uh, speak to David's form in 2021 thus far? Well, Jonathan Davis' form has been exceptional. He's done really, really well uh, with Lil. It would seem like it's been the right club for him. Um, he was he had heavy interest uh, from other clubs in in, uh, in the Premier League, specifically Leeds, um, and an unnamed top six club. But you know they felt that it wasn't uh, the right move that needed you know a springboard of sorts, and, and this has been it, right? I mean, Lillard, top of league, huh? I mean, this game not only gets uh, bigger clubs' attention because he scored the decisive game against PSG, but let's not forget, I mean, Jonathan David is so young. He's still so young, and he has this large contract with Lil. So for him, you know, to go to a bigger club, you know, um, everyone says that, you know, Liga is like a, it's like a, a farmer's league. I disagree. I think uh, that the, the reason why France won the World Cup in 2018 and the reason why um, we saw uh, Lyon and PSG uh, be the two clubs in the, in the semifinals of the Champions League, it's a really good level. And and I know in, I've said in previous episodes that, I mean, he's just fine at Lille, maybe, maybe stay for a year or two more. Perhaps, maybe. I think Jonathan David has... Some people may say he has, he has a lot more to prove. I think when you look at a forward, you always want him to have like this crazy statistics, you know, all scoring goals and whatnot. But uh, realistically, I think Jonathan David is is growing nicely, and and I think maybe a summer in this uh, a move in the summer, excuse me, uh, could be too soon. But his form has been exceptional. Yeah, I, I agree. A, a move now would be way too premature. He should stay for another year. Um, you know, and, and I think you saw in those first few months of the season where you could see that there were a number of factors going, not so much against him, but just factors he had to work through. Um, obviously, being in a new league where it's a lot more physical compared to Belgium, Lille have to figure out how he's going to fit into their attack. Obviously, he has to gain chemistry with everybody around him. I still think that a lot of those players in that team, specifically Jonathan Bamba and Jonathan Nikone, uh, his fellow Jonathans <laughs> uh, aren't really doing much to help him at times. I think they hold on to the ball way too long. And, you know, even though David makes a very good run, they don't either recognize that or want to pass it to him. And then the chance goes awry and they end up taking a shot from distance that amounts to nothing. So there are still little things to work through. But the fact that you are now seeing David scoring pretty regularly since January shows that he's more settled. He's comfortable with everybody else. And you see that with the fact that his expected goals have increased compared to the first half of the season. So he's averaging better chances just because he's receiving the ball more. And you see that with his increase in touches, with his increase in touches in the penalty area. And he's still assisting a fair amount too. Like it maybe doesn't show in the final assist numbers, but if you look at the underlying numbers, he's still creating chances for his teammates despite the fact he's playing as the lone out-and-out number nine, which isn't necessarily... I suppose his best position, because he does kind of like to play a little bit deeper and, and find those pockets of space. But if we look towards a little bit into the future, Thomas, um, I understand, you know, speculating about injuries is 
always a dangerous game because you just don't know when a player returns. But as I mentioned, it is an ankle sprain. Those are quite difficult to get over just because they're in a very awkward area. Uh, there could be ligament damage. You don't know. Um, are you at all concerned about the injury itself as Canada has a very busy June and July coming? I am, of course, as everyone should be uh, a little bit. Um, but I also expect them to get back out there and and and, and get out there, really. Um, Health-wise, I would love for him to to when when the june window comes um you know he was actually as john herman said uh quote unquote uh, devastated that he wasn't able to join the canadian uh, men's team uh for these two world cup qualifying matches um but you know he's in a he's in a little side with a lot of talent uh you got you have uh jose font uh renato sanchez uh the american uh tim Weir, uh turkish national team players so he's in a great environment and I'm sure the the coach there will manage him just right. But it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because some people may be saying that does he does he stay? Does he does he go to a PSG or does he maybe look to join a, a top six club in England? Um, he's so young that maybe two seasons, a second season, like you could see that in his first season in Belgium, he got his feet wet, and his second season with. Uh, Ghent, you know, he really showed more um, of, what he, of what he was capable of. So I think two seasons, uh, second season would be preferred. Uh, but again, his injury, like you say, it's in an awkward spot. So you want to see him playing healthy. But at the same time, if he isn't healthy uh, for June, uh, which I hope that isn't the case, um, it's almost like he wasn't missed uh, against, the, against the two games uh, that Canada played. I mean, if, if we were talking in 2015, 2016, uh, you, you'd be thinking... No, like he would, it would be a massive, massive loss for the national team. But uh, Jonathan David doesn't come. You still have Kyle Lahren, mm-hmm. still have Lucas Cavallini. Uh, you have you still have Davies on the wing, and Liam Miller uh, can also fill in as a sub if needed. So you have tons of depth around, and and Jonathan David is just one piece of the puzzle. But you know, it's interesting enough because they have so much goals between them, uh, David Cavallini and Lahren. And I think they're tied for seventh or eighth place in the all-time scoring. Yeah. They were only in in this in the starting phase of, of World Cup qualifying, so I think twenty or twenty or twenty or so more games to go. So who knows? Maybe they'll break uh, the, um, Dwayne Durasario's record, which is only twenty-two goals. Yeah, I think it's probably an inevitability at this point. It's just a matter of which one of them will do it at the end of the day, right? Over to those transfer rumors that I touched on earlier. We are only days removed from the international break, but we've already seen two or three Canadians uh, linked with moves for the summer. The the first one, it, it's been really out there for a couple of months now, but it's really picked up over the last week or two. Uh, Stefano Stacchio being linked to Porto for about three to four million euros, depending on which reports you read. Porto was supposedly fighting with uh, Sporting as well as Braga for Eustachio's signature, but Porto has actually pushed ahead in the sweepstakes. And considering that Facos de Ferreira only bought him for, I believe it was a million euros for like 50% of his rights, he can be acquired for very, very cheap. Thomas, at this point, it feels like it's going to happen. So let's just say it does. How much is this going to help Eustachio's career being able to get to a club like that at 24, 25 years of age? 
Well, it's massive. It's also massive because um, he is North American, and we know that more and more, as the time goes on in Europe, they're taking more notice of that. Although the thing about Porto has its risk. I mean, he can go to Porto and become this great player uh, in their 11 setup, or he go to Porto and sit on the bench. Um, it's just such a high-risk, high-reward situation, um, if you understand me. But again, um, we've, we've seen uh, John Herman talk about before about in order to compete in a World Cup, in order to compete, not only to qualify to a World Cup, but in order to compete at a World Cup, you need Tier 1 players. Tier 1 players being um, playing in the top five leagues in the world. Now, is Porto a Tier 1 club? I think so. Uh, they're playing in the Champions League. Uh, they're one of the big three. Um, you're there with Portuguese national team players um, who won the Euros. So it's I think it's the right environment for him. It's just a question of will he play? Like that to me is the biggest. Um, if he were to go to a mid-table club like in La Liga, for example, like Abar or Valladolid, um, I think his chances of playing would be much better, much higher. I mean, I suppose, but I think with Porto pushing so aggressively to sign him, now obviously the, the low fee, I think, helps because even if he doesn't play regularly, you could probably still sell him on to one of those La Liga clubs for double the price they bought him for, uh, regardless of whether he plays or not. The only reason I think that he will end up playing a lot more than maybe you think he'll end up playing is outside of Sergio Oliveira, because I feel no matter what, he's going to be a key player for them. He's been a key player for them for a while. He'll continue to start in the midfield. But considering Porto under Conceição plays a 4-4-2, that only has room for two midfielders, obviously, central midfielders. It's typically Oliveira and Mateus Uribe who start in that midfield. I feel Estacchio offers a lot more in possession than Uribe does. And that is where I think he'll slot in a little bit more, maybe add a little more fluidity to that Porto team. Maybe at the very worst, he'll be a rotation piece, but I think you still take that, especially if he's if he's going to be playing in the Champions League and the League and the Cups. You know, there are going to be opportunities for him there. I don't know if you agree with me or not. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think Porto uh, last season, correct me if I'm wrong, I think they played a total of 40, 40 games yeah, right, between right. the league, the cup, and the and the Champions League. So he, he'll definitely have an opportunity for sure. Um, and if he does crack uh, that Porto 11 in, in the biggest matches, of course, not just when they're playing the cup and whatnot, what a steal for Canada. If he would have waited out maybe a couple of years, who knows, maybe he'd be right now in, in, a, in a Portugal... Uh, senior men's jersey. Um, for me personally, if Ostakio is playing in the Champions League and he's a starter at Porto, I understand that uh, Samuel Piet wore the captain's armband and he has 50 caps to his name. And, you know, he's playing at CF Montreal. You know what to expect. You see him close up. I understand all that is into consideration his leadership skills, 50 caps for the national team, how long he's been in the program. But the truth is, you cannot ignore a player playing at the elite level. No, of course not. Of course not. I mean, you'd, ha you'd have to make sort of the argument there that Ostaki would be coming in um, into the national team fold as he has uh, when he debuted against the U.S., but, but recently now when he just got uh, two of his three caps. You'd have to make the argument that Ostaki has to be in the lineup against Costa Rica, against Mexico, against the United States, uh, when Canada, and, and, and these are keywords here, not when, but if, 
um, when Canada qualifies to the octagonal, because I think I've said this before, I think they have the talent and I think this is the best national team um, that we've ever seen. Well, look, I don't even think it's an argument. Oshakio starts over Piet almost every single marquee game you play, unless he's not available, unless you maybe want a little more protection with Oshakio defensively. Oshakio's the starter now. And if he moves, that only reinforces the point. Um, so I don't even really think there is a debate. Another Portuguese-based player who has been linked recently to a move uh, is Lucas Dias, fresh off the Olympic qualifiers. Um, Calcio Mercato linked Dias to Juventus, who are heavily scouting a lot of youngsters, but primarily in Portugal. And that includes Dias's uh, sporting teammate Nuno Mendes, who's killing it for the first team right now. Um, now, worth noting that Dias's contract expires in 2023, and it carries a 30 million euro release clause. So, you know, look, this could just be sm smoke and no fire, right? Because obviously with a club like Juventus, they're going to have their hands in all kinds of cookie jars, right? But do you think, Thomas, that Dias could actually leave sporting? And if you do, is it a good idea for him it, it, to, to a club like Juventus? Well, the fact Sporting have a $30 million release clause and a contract that runs until 2023 uh, tells you two things. Uh, one, they highly rate the player. And two, uh, they want to develop the player. They wh Why would they sell him now? Um, right now, he's still a youth academy player and he, he's not on the first team. So I think what they want to do, um, my guess is, is either um, feature him for the first team. Um, so, well, obviously, first... Uh, before any of that, sign him to a first-team contract, uh, having some games, uh, loan him out. Or um, once that happens and they don't see that there's any enough room for him, sell him. Um, or see what his actual potential is and see if he can actually uh, be an asset for them uh, going forward, either as a rotational starter or whatever. But, I mean, what's the rush? You yeah. think about it. What's the rush? I mean, the kid's 18. I remember people were saying that Liam Miller should turn pro whenever, as soon as he turned 18. And look how that's turning out. Well, two loans in the Scottish Premiership and now in League in League One, uh, doing uh, decently well in, in League One. Um, so I think with this thing, you have to go with time. And let's not forget, uh, Lucas Diaz must still turn the other cheek and play for Portugal. I mean, Canada has not kept tied him. If I'm John Herdeman and his staff, uh, I'm calling him up for the next game in the senior men's team. Yeah, because the way he go. played, that's great. Yeah, he, I, I, saw, I saw what he said. Um, on social media, and he was he was glad he was he 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 said he was very happy that he played for Canada. So that's a great sign. In the beginning, from what I was told, is he was he was testing the water, so to speak. Uh, someone uh, close to him actually told me this. So, uh, but he was still leaning to Portugal. Uh, now that the tournament has has happened, uh, the pre-Olympic tournament uh, has gone has gone out. It's nice to see that he's much more open to a Canada senior call up. But yeah, I just think the first opportunity you get to captain this guy, um, which will be in June uh, against Suriname or Aruba. Aruba, I think, would be the perfect per perfect option. If sort he's of... willing to go. Absolutely, absolutely. But I don't know. I just feel like this kind of player, because Canadian players don't have too much individual talent. Uh, you have uh, Diaz, who has been developed in Portugal. I think he's a rare, he's a rare gem. And I think you can't let that guy out of your sight. No. Not just him, but Marcelo Flores as well. Another guy, if it, like he's another guy that you also have to cap tie. And Gold Cup is going to be interesting, right? Because Canada plays two games 
and which I just mentioned against Suriname and Aruba. And shortly after they play those two games, they top the group, most likely. Then they play a week after, or a couple of days after, excuse me, uh, against Haiti on a back-to-back. We'll see if things are okay to play um, in um, in Abimo Field in Toronto. But that's, that's four games. Then the Gold Cup is going to happen uh, one month later in July, in early July. And who knows, maybe Canada decides to go with two teams. Some people might be thinking, oh, that's great. Um, there's two, one upside and one downside to this. The upside is you maybe can lure in some dual nationals, right? Maybe some lure in some dual nationals. Um, reward some U23 players that did quite well in the tournament. Uh, maybe test out your depth from 23 to 30. Or you play the entire first team. Uh, you, you, uh, I mean, you play your best team. Because, I mean, I'm Chilean. I, when, when Chile won the Copa America, and I know it's not the same thing, Gold Cup, Copa America, CONCACAF, Copa When Chile won the Copa America, they played seven consecutive games. Seven consecutive games. Canada is playing four consecutive games, and they have a three-week break. So I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see why it would be a problem. But I also understand if Milan Borjan has Champions League qualifying commitment. I also understand the same thing goes for Jonathan David or Liam Miller gets invited to Liverpool preseason uh, or Kyle Lairn uh, or Ostaki signs for a new club and, and, they have to, and, and they have to settle in, right? Um, I understand that. So if that's the case, then you see another player. But uh, John Herman said, World Cup qualifying is a priority 100%. Look, I agree with you completely. There will be opportunities there to be able to cap tie players. But again, it's just all dependent on if they want to make that commitment, right? Because it's a big decision to make when you're 18 years old, as we discussed last week. And we talked about this as well in that episode. Um, you just don't know. In, in terms of Diash moving, I will agree with you. I just don't think there's any rush to at this point. I think he's decently close to first team opportunities. And when you look at the fact that it's Juventus who's looking at him. Juventus at this point in time, because of the Cristiano Ronaldo signing, are just trying to balance the books. And they sign these players on next to no money and then try to sell them for a profit in a couple of years without them even really playing very much. So I think for someone like Diash, it would be really a, a downhill move for him. One final transfer to talk about, or transfer rumor to talk about, uh, Kyle Aaron, he's still being linked with moves away from Besiktas. Um, he was linked to Everton in February, which uh, had him linked to a potential deal involving former Besiktas striker Cenk Tosun. But new reports say that even though Tosun could be part of a deal, Besiktas want no less than a $15 million deal for Laren. So basically, any package that's worth $15 million or more is what they're looking for. Um, keeping in mind that Besiktas signed Laren for about 1.6 million euros in 2017, so they make a pretty hefty profit on him. Thomas, do you think Laren leaves Besiktas this summer? And if so, where should he move? Because a few have pointed out, uh, uh, the, a few have said that the Premier League, particularly to a club like Everton, would be an ideal move for him to make right now. I think so, yes. I think that's the ideal move. He's already proved himself in the Turkish Super League. So, I mean, unless uh, maybe he has more to prove to himself uh, and other people, uh, which I don't think is the case. I think um, the way I look at it is there are leagues like Turkey, like Portugal, uh, like um, 
like Holland or Belgium that get you get you the get your foot in the door in Europe and once you can prove yourself there then you can move to a top 5 league i think premier league would be amazing i mean what was the last time we had a canadian playing in the premier league i believe junior hoylet um it would be amazing it would be amazing to see Kalaren there um given just how much maybe perhaps given how much opportunities maybe uh, ancelotti could give him um that's that's still wait to see situation Perhaps maybe another club that could give him opportunities could be Brighton. I mean, you see Brighton giving opportunities to uh, players uh, that can get them for cheap. But again, um, he is listed right now at 16 million. So, um, I mean, that's that's how much Besiktas want, want at the moment. And in transfer market, he is listed for one, for 9 million. So usually when that happens, when, he, when you have a player that's listed for that much amount of money, only the top clubs are going to be able to sign him, not a mid-table club. We'll see what happens with him, but as I kind of suspected in October, November, I think someone asked me for a Canadians Abroad mailbag whether I think that um, Laren has a future at Besiktas. I figured that based on his form, they're going to try to cash in, maybe fix some of their financial issues due to the pandemic. They will probably end up qualifying for the Champions League should they win the title and or finish top two in the Super League. They'll try to cash in and, and see what they can get for him at this point. Um, especially because he may also want to move as well, we, depending on who's interested. But if a club like Everton is interested in him, as hesitant as I am to see him go to the Premier League, because I don't necessarily think he'll have the quality to play in the Premier League week in, week out, going to Everton to play for a coach like Ancelotti could probably help him settle in a lot faster. So that could be an interesting move. Um, as we close out the show, Thomas, with... Uh, the Canadian women's national team, they unveiled their squad for uh, friendlies against England and Wales this month. They're going to face Wales on the 9th of April before taking on England on April the 13th. A bit of good news and bad news with this squad, though, due to injuries. Uh, no Kadisha Buchanan, Diana Matheson, and Adriana Leon, among others, due to respective knocks. Um, however, Chloe Lacasse, who is on fire in Portugal has been called up despite her previous interest in playing for Iceland, but that never materialized. So Canada at least temporarily gets her committed. Uh, but then you also see the return of Jordan Heidema and a call-up for Evelyn Vion, who has been terrific this season, to kind of round off a loaded forward core. Um, even without the injured veterans, Thomas, what do you think of this squad? Because from the outside looking in, it looks like Priestman has far more attacking weapons to use compared to the She Believes Cup. Yeah, I mean, you see it there. I mean, three key players are still missing from this uh, set of friendlies. Uh, but they get Jordan Heidema back, um, which is big. I mean, she's pretty much the future. Uh, as soon as Christian Sinclair retires, um, you'd expect um, Jordan Heidema to be filling in those shoes. Again, these, these two games um, against Wales starting up, Gives him an opportunity to get some good competition. I mean, heck, I wish the Canadian men's team did this um, when they didn't have um, no no games lined up in their uh, FIFA windows. But it's interesting, right? Because this game happens in a non-FIFA window for the women's, and somehow they're able to to get these players called up, which is great to see. Because you mean you mean one, the clubs are are being very 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 good to the to the CSA, and and two, the players are committed to come. Um, they're going to have big competition at the Olympics, playing against uh, Holland, Sweden, um, we Australia, Brazil, 
Um, so they kind of have to get acclimatized soon enough. And the performance at the She Believes Cup, I don't know about you, Peter, but it didn't really seem most convincing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, again, they were missing big players, but at the same time, this team that has been around together for a long time just didn't really click in the, in the She Believes Cup uh, that was played on Orlando. So this is kind of a, a way to bounce back, get some games in, and, and regroup for, for Brisbane. Yeah, and considering she now has more options to choose from attacking-wise, maybe she'll be able to better perfect, let's say, that more so front foot style that she wants to implement, or at least from the looks of things, wanted to implement at the She Believes Cup, but maybe didn't necessarily come off all the time. But as the women tick off more games leading up to the Olympics, what do you make of the current player pool right now? Because it seems like there are some intriguing pieces really across the pitch. The player pool is very good. I mean, they have, again, so many of these players um, are playing either in NWSL or the NCAA. Um, most of these players, um, I mean, some of the players are playing in Europe, uh, such as Stephanie Labbe. Uh, they have uh, Jordan Heidemann, Janine Becky. What's interesting to me is that they'll be playing against England, and, and we know that England is one of the best women's national teams in the world. And they're also going to, they might face them down the, down the road at the Olympics. Again, not as England, but you, know, you, you get the point. Great Britain. Yes. Um, same as Wales, right? So this is kind of like, again, if Canada does get to play against Great Britain, it would be it would be interesting because obviously Wales and England, you know, they can make a team together. Um, but it's interesting. I honestly, I find that even without, again, we talked about in the previous episode, even without a professional club in the NWSL or a professional league, just talent just keeps emerging out of nowhere, and and it's interesting to see surprised uh maybe uh not really just because they always seem to find players uh somehow their tracking has been very good scouting has been very good and for whatever reason canada seems to get these friendlies to be fair there are some breaks in some leagues so that's why they are able to get certain players together which helps of course but maybe more so on those two games as we close the show out with this group called up do you think that Priestman will approach this game more proactively, or do you think we're going to see a more cautious Canadian side in those games against England and Wales? I think you have to go. At, I think you have to uh, be attack-minded. They either have two alternatives: uh, bring the game, bring the game to them, or have the game brought to them. Um, at the end of the day, um, this Canadian team has to be score score uh, has to have a lot of um, score threats. Um, in my opinion, I just don't see that considering all the options that they have uh, in attacking, I don't see why they would play a defensive game. I mean, they have so many players in, in the midfield and they have so many players in attacking options um, that can do so much damage. Indeed, indeed. Well, again, those games are April 9th and 13th as the women's team prepares for the Tokyo Games, and that is going to do it for us this week. Thank you, everybody, once again for listening. Please, if you haven't yet, subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts, and be sure to leave us a rating as well, as it always helps out the show. So for Thomas Neff, I'm Peter Galindo. Thank you, everybody, for listening.